Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one, one chapter, chapter at, at a time. On this episode of The Read Along, we'd like to tell you about what's new with our friends at Tell Us Story Hive. Calling on all new and emerging creators in BC and Alberta, Tell Us Story Hive's all-access documentary edition is funding 40 creators with $20,000 each in production funding, mentorship, training, and distribution on Tell Us Optic TV. Pitch any documentary idea you're passionate about, and you can be in the running to join the Story Hive community. Apply by May 30th at storyhive.com apply. This evening, uh, apropos of nothing related to our book, uh, Scott was trying to explain the concept of infinity to our five-year-old because the five-year-old brought it up, and I was outside the bedroom listening, and it was the most adorable conversation I've ever heard. Yeah, it's really I, sweet. I was trying to explain to him that infinity is not necessarily a number; it is a concept to indicate something that does not end, and numbers are one thing that we don't know the ending of. And then I also mentioned space, actually, to tie it into our novel, because we don't know how far the extent of the universe is. And so it is theoretically infinite. Yes. So afterwards, when I went to tuck him in and kiss him goodnight, he was like, Mommy, infinity is not a number. And I went, that's right. It's all the numbers. And I think I blew his mind a little. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. You are are technically correct. I know. It is all the numbers are infinite. (laughs) But that has very little to do with our novel. Yeah. You uh, kind of also hinted at the other unusual thing about this recording session is that uh, we are recording in the evening. Yes. Normally we record earlier in the day, but yeah. uh, just didn't quite work out today. Normally we take a little chunk of our afternoon to record, but uh, tonight our, we had to do it after bedtime. Part of our lunch break. Yeah. Basically, but uh, a lack. <laughs> Alas and a lack. Uh, today it had to be after bedtime. No. So if, if our voices are a little lower than normal, it's because we're trying not to wake up the kids. That's right. <laughs> anyway, shall we back up a chapter and do a recap? Sure. A brief recap of our previous chapter in which we got locked and loaded to prepare to hunt for a foreign biological on board the ship. And while the lower ranked crewmen went with the chef to go and barricade <laughs> the galley, the higher ranked crewmen climbed up to the flight deck to discover the horror show. And that pretty much leads us into chapter seven of Screams from the Void by Ann Tibbetts. So we have another little flashback to start. Yeah. I have a feeling we're going to jump back and forth in time, flashback style, a fair bit now. I don't know if it's going to be a fair bit, but I do believe that our author is deliberately giving us little pieces of important information from the past as we go to add context. Yeah, for present context. I I agree. All I'm saying is I think it's going to happen more because I think there is more story in the past to give us. The important thing we glean from this flashback is why Pollux has a rash. Right? Right. 
That was my thought, too. Though there's a possible other thing as well. Possible. Let's get into it. But the main thing is Pollux was woken up three months ago with an alarm from the greenhouse indicating some sort of movement. She posited that it was these blue vines. Sometimes they grow. It yes. makes or or a malfunction. Yeah, they were waiting for something to bloom yeah. or like a sprinkler moved and set off a sensor, that kind of stuff. But following protocol because As she would. Because Pollux is apparently the only person on the ship who follows protocol. That's not true, actually. Osric follows protocol <laughs> to a T. Osric overly <laughs> follows protocol. Um but she heads to the greenhouse and uh discovers that indeed it looks like some sort of spore has burst open on one of these blue vines in their little isolation bay. Yeah, there's like an empty pod of something. Yeah. Yeah. So she goes in to check it out and decides the very smart thing to do is to touch the icor that is dripping from this open spore pod. Never the smart thing to do. And I mean, before the chapter's even done, I I shouldn't even say the chapter, before the uh, segment of the chapter is even done, is already feeling a tingling where the slime was. Not even that. Before the paragraph is finished... She's, yeah, it's it's a mess, and we're I'm like, oh, oh, this is where that horrible rash came from. All yeah. right. And, I mean, there's a bit of irony here, because Pollux is someone who, I mean, she gripes at one point when the captain is like, well, go and decontaminate yourself and your clothes and whatever, and go back to bed. And she's like, oh, obviously. Obviously, because I'm the one who wrote the protocols. But at the same time, Pollux, you idiot, you touched the slime with your bare hand. Don't do that. You don't yeah. know what that slime is. So, the, and I thought that was weirdly ironic that Pollux is griping about people not following protocol, but she was the one who touched the slime. I know. We've also learned something else about Pollux in this little segment. She's a perfectionist. Oh, very much so. She doesn't trust anybody else on the ship to do anything. Nope. She is one of those, if you want it done right, do it yourself people. Though in her defense, based on what we've seen of this crew... She's probably not wrong to only trust herself to do anything right. <laughs> no, it's true. <laughs> I got to give you that. It's very true. This also leads us back to the spore pod. Yeah. A large spore pod that burst open with question mark that came out of it. Now, I know last chapter, just last chapter, I posited maybe someone, maybe Morvan, had released a creature on purpose on board. What if the creature came out of that plant? I thought that too. Yeah. Maybe we have a little little baby furry alien that came out of a plant. It's not impossible. It's that not. It could have been not part of the plant. It could have been an egg, and they just didn't know because it's an alien thing. That's true. The creature could have been brought on board innocently. Yeah, inside a plant. Yeah. It's, it's weird to say that there's such a thing as a plant-based animal, but we're dealing with space. This it's is, alien biology. This is science fiction. It could be a plant-based animal. Or it could be an animal that they mistook for a plant. Uh, Also true. The blue vine might not be plant life at all. Uh, Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. It could be a different part of the life cycle of this creature. The fact that she is not wearing, like, a fully insulated... Yeah, she goes into the isolation chamber. (laughs) Yeah. Like, in her pajamas. I mean, she did put on a uniform. I'm I'm exaggerating a bit. The fact that she is not in, like, full hazmat dealing with an alien something until they at least understand what they're dealing with. Yeah, it shows that... It kind of blows my mind. It shows that Pollux despite being a stickler for the rules. Oh, but she wrote those rules. They don't apply to her. Sometimes doesn't necessarily follow the rules, <laughs> mm. despite everything. Again, which is why I found the whole thing a little ironic. I know. It does make her more likable than Osric. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's easy to be more likable than Osric. That's true. Who is the second most odious person in this novel so far. So far. 
And I, I say that because we're about to get into what goes on with Morvan. Oh, God. Because we come snapping back to the present. Yeah. And uh, we're back with Ensign Reyna. Yes. It is now 11 o'clock. She is trying to catch up to the rest of the Ensigns and Neil, who've made their way to the galley. And kind of scurries along, a little worried because there's a mysterious alien on yeah. board. And they she's don't alone on the ship, basically, right now. Yeah, and as she approaches the galley, Morvin is kind of at the door and sees her coming and closes it, basically, in her face. What a jerk. Yeah. I can't even. What a jerk. And Reyna rightly gets incensed and starts banging on the door. Mm-hmm. Thank God Tamsin opens it for her. Yeah, Tamsin is like, I'm pretty sure the alien monster isn't going to knock on the door. Right. Or scream, because I think, I don't know if they can hear her screaming. I don't know if it sounds actually, like Actually, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they couldn't, because at one point, Reyna actually specifically thinks there could be a firefight going up on the flight deck right now, and she wouldn't hear it. Because despite the fact that the ship is not huge, the different compartments are actually well insulated from one another. So there is quite a lot of soundproofing. Mm. Which is probably a safety feature on a spaceship, right? Could very well be. Like, it worries her that something terrible could be going on literally around the corner and she might not hear it. So yeah. it's very possible they couldn't hear her screaming. But she is physically banging, banging on, on the, the door. door. Yeah. And and Tamsin does open it. And Reyna rightly just, like, marches up to Morvan and, you did that on purpose. And she just smacks him. <laughs> Slaps his face. This, it turns out, was ill-advised. Because Morvin has an explosive temper. Ooh, does he ever. Now, I'm not saying he didn't deserve the slap. Oh, he really did. But he overreacts. Agreed. Yeah, if, if he's Reyna... He's ready to punch her right in the face. If Reyna reacted, he overreacts. Yes. And, like, gets angry at pretty much everybody. He tosses around Reyna and, like, wrenches her arm. Avram tries to intervene. Yeah, he he's trying to break up the fight by pulling cuz these two are now going at it. Yeah, like they're 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 in a fi- there are fisticuffs. And Morvin like misinterprets this as there's something going on here and so now he's <sighs> angry at Avram. Tamson is just yelling at people to stop and finally Neil pulls a gun. Hey, it worked. And like has it aimed at Morvin's head and is like we're going to calm down now. Yeah. Thank you. Right? Well, just the fact that Morvan immediately went to Reyna and Avram are sleeping together. Like, that came so out of left field for me. And it, it raised all of the red flags. Oh, yeah. That, oh, my That's goodness. intense jealousy. Oh, my And, God. of course, Reyna reacts to that with a mix of very complicated emotions. Because on the one hand, she's like, oh, he still cares about me. And on the other hand, she's like, oh, he still cares about me. Right? Like, it's understandable that you would still find your ex attractive. Right? Because there was something that attracted you to them in the first place. So it's weird that the attraction is still there, mixed with all of this hurt feelings and fear and hate and probably lust. So Rain is kind of an emotional hot mess, and Morvin's just terrible. Well, I mean, and I don't, I'm by no means an expert, but uh, I have heard tell that like love and hate easily swing between one another because they're they're so wrapped up in like, passion. Yeah, I've heard it said lots of times before, the opposite of hate is not love. The opposite of hate is indifference, right? Love and, love and hate are actually kind of in the same area yeah, because they're, they're both, both a type of obsession. And and have a share an intensity. Yeah. Right? Kind of easy to mix those two up. Yeah. Now, I'm going to uh loop back to a couple episodes ago. I had mentioned that the captain 
had apparently after this bad breakup between Morvin and Reyna kind of insisted that they try to keep their distance from one another and was like, hey, good for the captain at least doing something. One of our listeners, longtime friend of the show, Ron, did bring up that that's actually that was actually terrible <laughs> what the captain did. And I conceded to him online when he made the comment, you're right, that's fair. That It was the bare minimum the captain could have done. Yeah. And nope. I think that I was giving the captain kudos simply because based on everything else we've seen from the officers of this <laughs> ship, the fact that he did anything at all seemed like yeah. something at least. I, I also read Ron's comments and I do agree with him. Yeah, but he is absolutely right. What the captain did was literally the bare minimum. Oh yeah, it was the least And he was could do. practically sweeping apparently what happened under the rug. And in this moment, we pretty much get confirmation of that because Neil basically just tries to this is what just went down with everybody. Like, you did this, you did this, and you did this, and that's the story. Are we understood? And everybody kind of grumpily agrees with it. And it's Reyna going, this is typical of the officers on this ship. Something happened, and they're just going to pretend it didn't. Yeah. The note I wrote myself about this was that I really sympathize with Reyna in this moment because clearly command, all of the officers, are way more interested in simply keeping the peace than they are with solving the problem. Now, this could be, and this is me, this is me throwing them the biggest bone. Hmm. This could be just because it's the end of the tour. And everybody, as previously established, is just done and just wants to power through and get it done with. And a big incident that's going to call down a whole bunch of like questions and possibly investigations, nobody wants that. And so they're just like, just shut up about it. Everyone keep the peace and we'll be done and we don't have to see each other again in just a few weeks. I wish I could nod louder so that everyone could hear me totally agreeing with you. That it, that could be the case here. And, and that is to say, like, maybe if it was earlier in the cruise, something more drastic might have happened. But because it's so close to the end, they're just like, just shut up, just shut up so and do it. Let's just get through this and go home. However... Even as I say that, and even as I say that could be giving them the benefit of the doubt, I feel deep down that's not the case. I agree. <laughs> and that even if this had happened like three days out of out of spaceport and they could have turned around and dropped someone off, it still would have just been swept under the rug. Yeah. That feels to me like the kind of crew we're dealing with here. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. All right. So before we move on to uh, the other half of the chapter, which is what happens with Pollux, I want to briefly introduce... A new and possibly one-time segment, Armchair Psychology with Anita. I do not believe I'm being helped by this session. Classic transference. Your anger toward me is, in fact, the animosity you feel toward your father. Here's Morvin's problem, as, as I see it. Reyna isn't his ex-girlfriend. She is his possession. He doesn't see her as an independent person. She is something that he owns. She is something that he has laid claim to and will jealously protect and can do with as he pleases. That's how he sees her. That's why he's treating her like this. I mean, yeah, he's an abusive boyfriend. Yeah. No, no. But it's not just he's a jerk, he's mean, he gets angry. Like, I think this is his problem. That she is not a person to him so much as a possession. Yeah, she got she involved with a sociopath. Yeah, she did. She stood up to him, and so she must be punished. So he locked her out of the galley to be a jerk, and possibly leaving her to die. He doesn't know. She didn't know either. That's terrifying. Yeah. Someone else touched her, 
quote-unquote, his property. So he immediately assumed the worst and got super mad about it because she is his toy to play with. How dare you? Right? Yeah. That's exactly what it looks like to me. I should have gone into psychology because I find this kind of stuff fascinating. You've mentioned that multiple times. <laughs> I know. Over the past several books. I often wonder if I've missed my calling. I'm pretty sure I've said that before, too. Yep. Anyway, segment over. On to Pollux, shall we? After Neil goes to get everyone some pie, or at least, <laughs> let's be fair, some squeezy packs that taste of pie. Probably. We, we cut to the officers who have made their way down from the flight deck and are now basically doing a deck-by-deck deck sweep. They've got themselves a little, like, sensor. Yeah, the little tracker thing that uh, Valda took from the bridge. Yeah, to try to keep an eye on where this thing is. They're having trouble tracking it down because every time they think they've cornered it, they don't find anything. And, I mean, we know why this is. Yes. And before the chapter ends, they know why this is. <laughs> because the creature is able to camouflage itself. Yeah. Really effectively. Every time they corner it, it's just hiding. Yeah. And so they don't see it, and then they move on. Yeah, so basically, they're now just wandering around in circles, looking for something they can't see. Until the creature actually makes a mistake, and moves, yeah. essentially. looks at them. At that moment, everybody's like, oh my god, there's an invisible <laughs> monster, and they start shooting wildly, or not, as the case may be. Uh, yeah. Uh, Gala, it turns out, had forgotten to turn on her gun. Oops. And gets a little bit of flack for that, but rightly points out that the people who did have their guns turned on all wildly missed shooting the thing. But to be fair, these are not soldiers. No, I, I actually noted that too. We have like science officers and techs, uh, and basically a, a bunch of non-soldiers Yeah, is what we have. And so they spectacularly fail at killing the thing on the first pass, and it scurries into the vents and disappears again. Also, in their defense... It was dodging bullets. Yeah. Like it was made of rubber. <laughs> like, well, we already rah. know the thing is pretty flexible. Yeah. So. And for all we know, might be part plant. Could be. Who be knows? Because it may have come out of that blue plant. I don't know. We're learning as we read. If it was not brought on board on purpose by an murderer, it may have just come out of that plant. Maybe. Hard to say. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that's kind of the explosive end to this chapter is, yeah. uh, is a brief but failed firefight <laughs> from well, a group of nerds. <laughs> I know. Shooting at a very effective killing machine. Well, okay. So Gala couldn't get a shot off because she forgot to power her rifle. Yep. Uh, Pollux and Valda shot but missed. Osric froze up. And Osric just stood there and he didn't fire at all. He froze up, yeah. Yeah. So uh, so they're all boned. That's Well, they're currently <laughs> boned. <laughs> oh, they're, they're in such a hot mess right now. I mean, there's a non-zero chance that they will find it again and successfully shoot it. Yeah. And the problem they have now is that they sort of know what they're looking for and they know they can't follow it because it's going like inside the walls and through the air vents and through the ductwork and... Yeah, Osric actually rightly to his credit, is like, oh God, if that thing is moving through the walls, there's no telling what kind of damage it could be doing to the ship. Absolutely. And I mean, that could account for some of the malfunctions that have been going on. Who knows how long this thing has been right? lurking around in there, right? Right. I believe I mentioned before, maybe it's so hot in there because the creature is needs it hot and is messed with things. Maybe the creature doesn't even need it hot. Maybe it's just messed with things. Maybe it's just messed with things. But, and here's the irony, if Osric was a more proactive maintenance worker, they might have found the creature sooner. Yeah. Or he might have been killed. <laughs> Hard to say. Either way. Oh. Sorry. I mean. I don't like Osric very much. I think that's by design. But that, I mean, that's also 
deeply unfair. Does anybody truly deserve to be eaten by a monster? Probably Morvin. <laughs> Morvin, maybe Osric. We'll see. Uh, but the next one to go is probably going to be like Gala or Tamsin or something. Oh, that makes me sad. Yeah. People we like. That makes Look, me sad. The two main characters of this book are Reyna and Pollux. And I am expecting that they might be the only two people left on the ship by the end. Yeah, quite possibly. So Quite possibly. Like, I'm, I'm happy to be proven wrong, and Tibbets. I'm happy to be proven <laughs> wrong. There are many of these characters I like so far, though, based on the blurb on the back, one of them is a murderer. Yeah. And we don't know who yet. And I, the mur- it's always the one you least expect. I know. Could be anyone. How except for probably you? Pollux or Reyna, because we've been in their heads. Right. And I mean, obviously, probably not. Chris, Davenport, or Sorrel, or the captain. Because they're all dead. Because they're all dead. Yeah. So. Hard to be a proactive murderer when you have no insides left. (laughs) It's true. All right. So the good news is they now at least have a better idea about what they're hunting. And how to track it. And how better to track it. They have like a heat sensor. Yeah. Knowing that they can't rely on a visual to spot the creature. They realize they can track its heat. Or the, the life signs one that they were using. But, well, because was... they can track the life sign, but they can't see it. Yeah, exactly. So now that they know they can use uh, like a heat scan, they can at least figure out where it is-ish. Yeah. I it hope. Give, a, give them a better idea of how to track it. Yeah. So. A little bit of progress. It's a shame that nobody could actually hit the thing this time. Yeah. But, but then the book would be over and where would we be? Well, with a much more alive crew. <laughs> That's true. But uh, we'll see how things continue to progress as we segue into Chapter 8, which will be for next week. You'll want to read up on that. In the meantime, you know, we've been long partners here at the Alberta Podcast Network with the Edmonton Community Foundation. Uh, They're a great organization who helps you give back to the community. And here, a little podcast that they have. Hello, I'm Elizabeth Bonkink. I'm Andrew Paul. And we're the hosts of the Well Endowed Podcast. The Well Endowed Podcast is produced by Edmonton Community Foundation, or ECF as we call it. ECF provides grants to charities through the endowment funds we create and manage with our donors. Hence the title of our show, The Well Endowed Podcast. Every month, we bring you a collection of stories and interviews with fascinating guests who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. Through these stories, we look at the space where endowments intersect with your communities. So if you're interested in the people and issues impacting your community, check out the wellendowedpodcast.com. Well Endowed Podcast. Woo! Probably the ad we run the most on this show. Yeah, probably. I'm, I'm sure I've said it before. If you've never heard of the Well Endowed Podcast and you've been listening to our podcast, you have not been paying attention. <laughs> or, or welcome to the show. Yeah, welcome. Because <laughs> you've never heard the show before. You might want to back up about six or seven episodes. <laughs> Uh, but yes, they, um, they do help out the community. And of course, as we've previously mentioned, it is very Edmonton centric where we're located, but there are probably organizations just like them in major communities near you. Uh, you can definitely seek them out and find ways to help give back to your communities as well. Absolutely. We, we do love local. Yeah. Um, while you're looking for local stuff, local stuff to us includes other members of the Alberta Podcast Network. You can find them right now at albertapodcastnetwork.com. Mm-hmm. There's a full listing of all the podcasts who are members. Many of them are good. <laughs> yes. Some of them <laughs> award-winning. Uh, yes. Some of them merely award-nominated, like yes, ours. like ours. <laughs> uh, but either way, you can probably find some others that you like. You can download them on your podcatcher of choice while you're there. It's probably where you're catching our pod. You could give us a little rating and a review. We would appreciate that. We We, like feedback. We do. We also like feedback on social media. Absolutely. We are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Goodreads. 
Pick your poison. Yeah, we're at the read along at most of the above. Yes. You can also email us. Yes, we are the read along at gmail.com. And with that said, as always, we love you very much, and we'll see you next time. 100% that creature ends up in the gallery. Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. All read along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along, and check out our group on Goodreads.com. <laughs>